we know that we are putting ourselves over everyone else. And we know all of the pain that that's going to cause. Just knowing that is horrible. Now you can imagine how horrible of a place someone must be to want to kill themselves because they understand all of this. Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives, many millions. And we almost never talk about it. We certainly don't talk about it enough. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations, hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. Now, if you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. Check the show notes for all kinds of other ways you can get involved and participate. There's also an additional way you can reach out to us via a recorded message, as well as our Suicide Attempt Survivor Circle, which is a small group that is on the Signal app. There's a link in the show notes, as I said. Check that out if you like. It may not be a good fit for you, but it may. And some other cool things like our membership. We could certainly use the support as we try to do this work and spread this message. And there's a couple perks, so check it out. And finally, we are talking about suicide on this podcast, as the name suggests, as we do every week. Take that into account before or as you listen. I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with Dante. Dante lives in Georgia, and he is a suicide attempt survivor. Dante. Nice to finally connect. Absolutely. And you're in uh, Georgia. In Savannah right now. You like it? I did for the first, like, three and a half years I was here, but... I feel like sort of every college student, by the time they've spent like four years in college, they're ready to move on to brighter pastures, hopefully. And what are you studying there? Yeah, I'm there for fashion design. Oh, well, what do you think of uh, my look? The cutoff sleeves and everything. Fuck yeah, man. <laughs> Make some kind of statement is all I'm saying. Exactly. Don't just be boring, but all right. I'm sitting here with a black t-shirt. You live alone? Yeah. For my entire time here, I lived with roommates and i didn't have like a bad living situation uh last year but i lived with three other people with a dog and a cat in a very small apartment and after that i was like nope senior year i want to live by myself be able to like keep my own space the way i want it yeah Uh, where are you from are you from the north i'm from new jersey north jersey montclair now you wouldn't know this but i'm actually jewish i'm assuming you are too yeah. Your yeah. name is more, more Jewish than Sean Wellington, but go exactly. for it. Exactly. Right. <laughs> I'm a good mix of Jewish and Italian. So like okay. the most psycho group of people you could combine into one person. Now, how is it that Dante and Sean, I'm going third person here, obviously, <laughs> are talking about this particular rather taboo subject? What drew you to reach out to me? So this is, I was really excited about this until last weekend, the first person I heard mention this. So I'm an avid moth listener and I heard your moth segment. I remember just like yours immediately caught my attention, especially because you talked about like mental health, specifically in the South, which I feel like is its own beast compared to like how things operate in the North. Mm. Um, And then you mentioned like, I'm pretty sure you described it as like 
the sticker on your forehead. Yeah, I, I think I said a tattoo. I just sort of felt like, okay, he kind of gets it. When the end, when they mentioned you had a podcast, I like stopped what I was doing and like ran to the podcast app and just like listened to probably like 10 or 15 straight episodes. So just to be clear, I'm going to fill in the, the I'm going to connect dots here and Dante is going on the record saying, so we'll say no, it's better by a lot than the mock. You said it. I heard it. Yes. Say it. Go. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to deny it. That's what I'll say. (laughs) I think they can both peacefully coexist. They are a massive podcast. We are a little, little one. And we're totally different. But I'm really glad that you, so I get what you're saying. You wanted to be the, the OG and someone said it last week. Yeah, exactly. They found it. But it's cool because the moth has this big reach. And because I was able to do that, people found this. It's like, whoa. Once I heard your podcast, I was like, oh, now I can actually like access this part Mm. of myself that hasn't always been the easiest. You know, obviously a lot of people say this listening to other people's stories just helps them sort of like drink through their own more. And so that like, that really helped me. Yeah. And I know from our email correspondence that one thing you really want to talk about part of your story is your uh, thoughts, feelings about hospitals. I mean, one thing I will owe that blew my mind recently about the like hospitalization process is I did more research into it because I was forcibly hospitalized by the state of Georgia. I feel like everyone will sort of be able to relate to the, the rhetoric because basically I got to the hospital, you know, you say the S word and then immediately, immediately it's like alarm bells ringing. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah like, give me your phone, give me your shoelaces, like go into this white room. There's a 48 hour hold period, which I feel like I've heard a lot of people mention that they've also gone through something like that. But they don't mention that the 48 hours only applies to the hospital. Mm. Because usually then what they do is they like, for lack of a better word, like outsource you, at least that's what they did to me. They like outsourced me to another place, which they themselves then have a 72 hour hold. And those things don't overlap. Well, let's let's be clear. And I don't know how every state or county works and all the insurance mishmash, but you were getting billed for that. Absolutely. Like, let's just be very clear. Yes. It's not like it's not like a moderately priced Airbnb that's like $125 a night, yeah. which isn't moderate, but for, you know, for most people, but that's the world we live in now. And it's probably like one, two grand a night, maybe more. And the thing that like I find utterly ridiculous is one, I'll just do this like as a quick PSA, at least for anyone in Georgia. I completely screwed myself over with this because I went in on a Friday night. And they don't tell you that weekends don't count towards the 72-hour hold period. So technically, my hold period only started the following Monday. So after I had been like in a hospital setting for a total of three days. But you were forced. You were forced. So you didn't have a choice on whether it was Thursday or Friday or Monday. So I, because I went to the hospital because I was pretty much, I don't want to kill myself, but I feel like if I'm left by myself for any extended period of time, then I probably will. So I was like, I'm just going to put myself in a place where like, there's no way that I can. So when I got to the hospital, they like, put you in this room. It it looked like a prison cell. It was this giant like three inch door with like a cutout window in it Mm -hmm, with a mm -hmm. bed in the middle of the room. Yes. Like a prison cell. You're right. I I will say the part about all of this that always blows my mind. I feel like the medical people pretend like there's no way of killing yourself in these (laughs) places. You know what I mean? Like if you leave someone in a room with a bed sheet 
for an extended period of time. There's so much pretending. It's absurd. Literally, like the definition of absurd. But the weird thing that I never understand is, and because it came up a couple of times when you were just talking about is, is the lack of transparency about everything. I want one person who knows to tell me, oh, here's why we do that. I've never heard a real answer that makes any sense. I don't have to agree with it. I just don't get it. One thing that blew my mind was, and this is also before when you're talking about just about like the medical system in general being fucked and like the way that they bill you. So coincidentally, they kept me until the last day they could bill my insurance. Then they were like, okay, now you can go. So I took an ambulance ride from the hospital to the like crisis center. And they had me strapped in like I was Hannibal Lecter. That was a private company. And so I have a bill from the hospital, from the this, from the that. I have like technically like a bill collector, like a debt collector on my ass for the past three years. And our insurance has repeatedly said they are committing insurance fraud. You have paid what you need to pay. This is just like patently insurance fraud. Yeah, because they have really good lawyers who know how to exactly, pay the and, and so then every, maybe they'll get some more money or whatever they can do. Sure. Every six months, I get a call from like a different agency. I think what they do is they just will sell different agencies a list of people who have been paid, yep. and then it's like, okay, now you can try, you can try. They know what they're doing is wrong. You you just zoom out. You can't call this humane in any way. Absolutely not. It's just, and so, you talk about helping people. I'm a, well, I don't know if this is what they want, but if helping people just be better, feel better or not as bad, you can't yeah. tell me those things contribute to that. And I know, I, I think if you're listening to this right now, you're probably like, oh God, here he goes again. But you, I, yeah. The one thing that blows my mind, the whole process is like one, just like built to create that like power dynamic yeah. of like the intake process of we are here to like control you. And I get there and, you know, they have you sign all these papers. They don't tell you what any of them are. Right. Now I know to like read everything that I'm signing, which I guess is like a silver lining from that. No one told me where I was. It was only yeah. like my mom called me and she's like, this is the place that you are currently at. And then they immediately take you off all your medication. Medically speaking, a horrible idea. And like I happen to be on certain medication that if I don't slowly go off of it, it can have really serious medical repercussions. And they were like, oh, sorry. One thing that I feel like I'm really lucky enough to have is I do have a great therapist, a great psychiatrist. I had a really great support system outside of this place. Right. And we kept on telling them like, there is people better equipped to handle my situation than you guys. But one thing that always blew my mind is the psychiatrist who was like head of my case was a failed psychiatrist from New York. If you are a psychiatrist in New York and you're unable to find work, you must be a really shitty doctor because there's yeah. a whole lot of people in New York who will look to just take your money and give you some medication. All these places are ridiculous. I found, and you know, then they give you at night, they give you like, I don't know if this was the same, but they give you sleeping medication at night. It felt like one flew of the cuckoo's nest. Like I was like cheeking all my medication and like spitting it out the minute I got into my room. Cause I was like, fuck you guys. They gave us this one specific medication called Buspar in the morning that I come to find out has been like debunked as a medication that just doesn't do anything. An SSRI that has been like widely criticized for like years and years. There's no way that you people as doctors could be this oblivious or like this stupid. Weird. 
I, I, I actually, I just, I don't, I don't know what to say. And I feel bad because at least what I found was all of the people that work at these places, most of them were like wonderful people. Yeah, sure. And there was one point where they told me I was going to leave that day and they were like, oh, sorry. I left the room and like stormed into my room and like shut the door, like slammed the door. And I had one of the like techs come over and she was like, I'm not going to say anything. But just so you know, like if you keep on acting upset, they will hold you longer. Unbelievable. It's a punishment. So you guys are fully aware of pretend to be okay things. Uh, It's almost like performance art. Obviously, lots of people before me have talked about the same situation. The place I went to, it's mainly for addiction and for people who Uh, need to detox. It's different. They were treating me like I was supposed to, like I was like detoxing off of suicide or something like that. One of the like group therapy things that we did is they handed out it was supposed to be for kinder for a kindergarten and it was just the abc's and you had to write down what is something you're grateful for that starts with a why why are we even pretending yeah it's ridiculous uh, okay they ask you the same questions like three times a day do you have any suicidal ideations i've had a su- i have thought about suicide every day since i was like 14 like no i haven't today you know what i mean like yeah 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 oh my god you guys are magicians here wow right. you're good and the and the absurdity right the silliness of it they know that what they want you to do is to say what you need to say right and so they're forcing you cuz there's a punishment if you don't you know i actually forgot about this but We ended up like talking to a lawyer after, you know, and they were like, request your files, just read through them and like, make sure that everything looks good. They just made up things about me. This is unbelievable. They mentioned that I had like, I had abused cocaine in the past. Then when they wrote about like my family history, they just came up with things that I never said about like my siblings. Uh, Yeah. Now, Dante, if he's even functioning at any sort of like moderately intelligent level, he's never going to go back to a place like that. You'd be a moron to do that. Right. And one of your best friends, girlfriend, boyfriend, they say, I'm going, you're probably going to say, I wouldn't go there, bro. Absolutely not. And that's very rational thinking. Right. Very. I find it to be a shame because I feel like there is such a stigma against mental health treatment because there are so many of these horrible stories of people going to these places. There are places I have people who have gone to, they're never hospital settings. They're usually residential stays right? and have been like incredibly helpful for them. It is like a year's worth of college for like a two week stay. Then the things that are helpful, you have no access to. There's nobody on the planet that would think, not nobody, obviously, but that institutionalized building, locked up feeling is going to work. It just doesn't. If the only thing it is to do is to make it impossible for you to kill yourself while you're there. But we've already established you can do that too. It's a sham. It's a sham. That's the name of the book. It's a sham. That's like your specialty. I'm fucking good. Except for my own stuff. So I know that you listened to a bunch of episodes and thank you for that. I'm not clear on why you reached out. I've actually, so I've only been listening to the podcast, I'm going to say for probably two months. My story doesn't have like a bow tie at the end, but I have always wanted to talk about this. And then I was like, okay, this is just a space for people who like to kind of ramble, have these conversations. I had been working on my senior collection day in and day out, hours and hours and hours. And I finally finished it. I have time to like, do something that I want now. Well, I'm glad you're doing it. And I should say, I am not a fan of any sort of bow. I can't stand the Disney bullshit. I fucking hate it. I think it's detrimental. Because right. it puts a lot of pressure on you 
what's the silver lining? Find your silver lining. But maybe I can't find it right now. Maybe it's not there yet. The, the silver lining is the same thing that we're doing here. Is It's not necessarily about the content. It's about the fact that we're just having right. an open conversation. That's the silver lining. I think one thing that a lot of other podcasts, when they, when they tell these stories, implies, and this is what I find completely different about yours, is that it implies that once you've found your silver lining, it's over. Right. And you're like, oh, I'm no longer, the end of your story is I'm not depressed anymore. Or I tried to kill myself. I didn't. Congratulations. But here it's like, this is an open-ended at the end of someone's like story. It's not. And now I'm, now it's like, okay, I'm going to go back to my life where all of these things are still true. But now I just shared them. Can we just remind everybody that the end of our lives, we die. I mean, you could look at that as a happy ending, but let's just stop pretending. That's not dark to me. Dark, I've said over and over, I believe so strongly, dark is rarely the content. It is a space in which you can't talk about the stuff. That is darkness. That is why people kill themselves. Not the only reason. That is a reason. So give people a chance to talk about it. And yes, they might say, I'm considering ending my life. That's got to be part of it if that's part of it. And, you know, it's such a shame because it would, ha- it has to be such a holistic change because it's like, then if you start sharing your story, then are you worried? Oh, I'm going to get hospitalized for 100%. It. Or like, yeah, Listen. it's such a, like a pervasive issue. That's like societal, which is, unbe- which I find unbelievable. What I find so funny for lack of a better word about listening to other people's stories, it seems like we all come to the same, like very common sense, logical conclusions about how you should treat someone who has been through. It's like the idea of just like shutting up and listening to the rest of the world seems to be this like mind boggling idea. Absolutely. It's mind boggling that it's mind boggling, but it does seem to be the case. So Dante, are you the only person in your family who, for lack of a better word, kind of deals with this stuff? My sister has also been through the mental health system as well. Theirs is more like anxiety, OCD based, at least from what, from what I know. But at one point they went to that, they like took themselves to the hospital and my parents were like, make sure you don't tell them you're thinking about suicide. Make sure you're telling them that you're having a really bad panic attack. In a hospital, in the one place, more than any other place, you would think you could handle handle that conversation because you're a grown up and you work in a hospital. Yeah, exactly. Nope, nope, you can't say it. Which was kind of ridiculous. They forgot to mention that part to me when I was on the phone with them, like, I'm going to go to the hospital. But it's unbelievable because it's like for, I'll just say normal people for lack of a better term right now. For normal people, there is like only two options. Here's this phone number and you can call that. Or like, you know, if you're not talking to these specific people on this phone, then we're going to send you to the hospital. It's like anything to like wipe their hands clean. You can either talk to them or go to the professionals, but leave me out of it. Right. Just go over there. Not me, them, not here, just there. And I understand it to some degree. I get it. There are people in our culture that we pay to help people who are not doing well. But does that mean that you aren't somebody who could lend an ear to someone for some time? No, that's, you can do that. I feel like a lot of people think about suicide as a state of mind. You are suicidal when you are about to kill yourself, where I sort of look at it, it's more like an emotion. Mm -hmm. Just as much as I am happy, I spend equally amount of time just being suicidal because of my nature. It's not because I'm sitting ideating every day, like on the brink. You're only feeling that way when you're sitting on the edge of a building. Right. You might be thinking of it right now. 
Right. And we treat it as this sedimentary moment. Obviously, yeah, if someone's like, I am on the bridge, we should treat it as such. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a limit oh. of our language, right? Because we're just yeah. using one word to try to talk about a lot of different things. Suicidal yeah. is the one word. But the way you are right now is the same as somebody who's who's about to jump off a bridge. Probably there's some differences. By the way, I was at a, this has come up in the podcast, but I was at a conference a few years ago. I don't know if you've ever seen this video. It's like a, a cop or a sheriff in San Francisco. And I don't know how he came to be the person who would talk people off the ledge, literally. And I talked to him I was because like, he seems yeah. a really nice guy. I said, what did you say? And it was kind of a stupid question. And he said, nothing. I just listened. Now, what happened after that I don't know. Hey, look, if somebody's got a gun in their hand and you can take it away, take it away. Right. I mean, I, I, mean, I get it. Why you wouldn't be relaxed like him and talk, I get it. It's fucking scary. But you're not helping by treating, let's say, Dante in this situation like you're not going to help. Dante, oh my God, fucking relax, man. I very much appreciate this guy for the way that he deals with it. But the one thing I would, I would, oh, I would want to push back on them is like, that, have you followed these people to then how they were treated? Yeah, right, by right. Your coworkers. And I didn't ask that and I should have. Again, just sort of speaks to this idea of like, like you said, outsourcing empathy. I, obviously, he's someone who leaves a little bit more. You know what I mean? He may not be outsourcing as much, you know, to like sort of play with the analogy. But I appreciate anyone who is treating, listening to someone, you know, that is more than 95% of our society. Anyone who will just like sit and listen to someone, you're doing more than than most yeah. people. I have no idea his thoughts about how people are treated after. He probably has an idea if he's in, right. been in doing this for a while. But so he's choosing to stay in it and do a little good within a really rotten system, as opposed to saying, fuck this, I'm out. And then he can't do much of anything. So I admire that because he's probably yeah. like, this sucks, but maybe this person would appreciate having the chance to not die. Maybe. And maybe yeah. they'll try again in a month or a year. Who knows? We don't know. And, and I'm going to gloat here for a moment. Just if you just did a little more, not in my ranty, weird guy way of just doing this a little bit more. And there's other people that do it. And kudos to them. Shit would change. Just this, man. Doesn't need to be for a podcast. Doesn't yeah. need to be on Zoom. Let people feel how they feel. If we did treat it like an emotion, obviously, I have no way of backing any of this up, just as like speaking from experience. Obviously, as everyone knows, there's a whole lot of stigma surrounding it. This seems like the easiest of any to sort of like I, remove. Of all the things, yes. But I have learned that this is the criticism. People are busy. And one of the reasons they're busy is, and so that means you don't have much time. There's a finite amount of time to have conversations. But when you, everything's getting more expensive and you have to work two jobs, something's got to give. And I also know we don't learn it. And that is a problem, obviously. Okay, so you said that you were uh, you started thinking about this at fourteen. Is that right? I'm gonna say like fifth grade. I'll preface this with like love my family. I have an amazing family, but they are incredibly flawed. My are they gonna hear this? Has gone through a whole lot in their life. None of this is taking away from anything that they have gone through because they have like serious, you know, like serious things that shit that they deal with. Basically, the rhetoric towards me as a child was like, "Thank God you're the easy, you're the easy one." No pressure, Dante. Right, exactly. So my sister went to school about two and a half hour drive. So my mom was up and down, up and down, up and down. And it was hard to kind of feel like the odd man out, you know what I mean? And then just like, I think partially just going through puberty in general, just like an awful time. Early to mid teenage years are already just terrible. 
And so I think it was just a lot of like internalizing um, and internalizing what was going on with my family and trying to be like the easy one. It was easier to keep it all in and just it multiplied and multiplied and multiplied until, you know, like I'm here, you know, try, you know, like trying to kill myself. When was that? The first time I would, it was probably, I think, sixth, sixth grade. It happened like a couple of times when I was a kid, but none of them were with serious intent. It was mainly like, I'm going to like tie my like pillowcase around my neck and like squeeze as hard as I can. And um, they would not have worked, but that's not even it would not. Right. It would not have worked. It would be hard for me because it would, you know, I would be up in my room trying to strangle myself and then go to school the next day. Yeah, that's always fascinating to me in a weird, fascinating is not the best word, but right. you go on, you, you wake up, you go to dinner with your family, or you go up and do your chores, or you go to school, or you go to the, I wonder how many kids, 12, 13, 14 years old, right now are in their bedrooms doing stuff like that. And I, you know, it's hard because I, you know, I understand my parents, when my dad was telling me that he wasn't fully thinking through what he was saying and all the repercussions that could have, that it could have. This was the first time that he had left the house in two days because they had been like talking my sister down or something. It was like a more of a breath of fresh air for him to say that, I think. What did he say? I missed that. Well, no, just him saying like, thank God, like you're the easy one to deal with. It was very much of a throwaway comment, but uh, obviously has very long <laughs> lasting repercussions. You're still talking about it and you probably will be. Uh, by the way, are they maybe going to hear this conversation? Probably. Is that okay? I mean, are your parents or other people in your life aware of what Dante goes through day to day? At least to the people around me, I kind of, in a healthy way, wear it on my sleeve. I'm not, especially to like my friends, I, it's not something I'm not like introducing myself. Hey, I'm Dante. I was in a mental hospital a couple, you know, a couple years ago, but it's not something that I am like averse to talking about. A lot of my artistic work is based off of my like emotional state, using it as like a way to like work through these emotions that I have. So talking about it isn't really anything that I'm averse to. And then it gets to my parents. Pretty much this sort of inability to talk to them, which started as an active choice later in life. It's crazy. It's just something I cannot do. When we start having serious conversations, I lose the ability to speak. It is a really crazy experience where like I will be screaming inside of myself. Words won't come out. And it's there's times where basically I've just like gotten a pad and pencil and been like, write down your question and I will write down my answer. And like, that's the way that we will talk about these things. But I think that, hey, maybe they can listen to this. Yeah. That's one of the things I really like about this vehicle is it's not happening right now with my father or my sister or my girlfriend. There's a little space and then they get to hear it if they want to. And so a couple of attempts at that age, uh, we know now that they were like not going to work, but again, it doesn't matter. And then you go through middle school and high school. Are you thinking, I, I think I know the answer here, but tell me like, sounds like from that moment, the idea of potentially doing that never completely left. It never left. I haven't even talked to her about this. I had like a spectacular girlfriend at the time who made my life a whole lot easier. For the first part of high school, the first half of high school, it was manageable. But then it went off the goddamn deep end. I So I was born with a growth, like a pituitary deficiency. So I took daily growth hormone injections for about seven, eight years. And that stuff is just the elixir of life. It just like makes you an exponentially like better person on paper. Like, you know, you can run faster, jump higher, build muscle faster, blah, blah, blah. Then I went off it. They were like, your bones are closed. Like you're not growing anymore. You don't have to take it anymore. They didn't tell me that there is this 
very serious withdrawal phase. And I did, I ended up doing more research by myself when I was a kid and realizing that this is something that a lot of people my age who were on this medication for a very long time went through, where they then after have this massive emotional drop for like months on end. I just felt sick. And I think kind of the end was like, oh, maybe you're, you just have depression where we got to by my like senior year of high school. Um, but it did suck because then I unfortunately like developed a pretty at the time, like serious eating disorder because you can basically eat anything when you're taking this medication. And so that stopped happening. And I put on like 20 pounds full stop for like days and weeks for a couple of years, which thankfully I'm not dealing with anymore. But the end of high school was rough, rough times. Now you're in Georgia. Now I'm in Georgia. And Fourth year of SCAD, which is an art school, very well-known art school. Overall good experience? You like it? The problem is it's a school that just does not give a shit about its students whatsoever. At the beginning of COVID, they got rid of their student health. They have like a, it's called Be Well, because we're the SCAD bees, so everything has to be like branded. I love all these cute names people come up with for things. Because if it's going to change the thing they're helping with or trying to help with. Yeah. If you're having like a mental health crisis, you can go to them and you can meet with a counselor for one time. And then you have two group therapy sessions and then they kick you out pretty much. Pretty well. Yeah. And they like say like, okay, here's a list of therapists you can go to in the area. But one thing that they don't realize is when there's a bunch of really sad art students, there are no therapists available. So I have a lot of friends who have like been through this. And then can't find a therapist after. The school looks as it looks at its students as a commodity. It has a 85% acceptance rate, I think. Wow. And then a massive dropout rate. We'll take your money up front and then say goodbye to you later. And then we'll use any of your work as publicity if they want to. Did you try again after uh, the first two or come close? I've come close many, many times for a long time was just sort of like a state of living. I'll just say like very recently, again, tried to kill myself. So it was like kind of, it was a little comedic. My default is just to always laugh at this shit, even when it's serious. But so I tried to hang myself. What turned out happening was like, I don't have any like rope. So I tried using an extension cord, but the only one that was long enough was like super thick. The rope ended up being so long that I would have had to like dangle there actively like sitting down while it was choking me, if that makes sense. But then I like was trying to untie it because I couldn't get it off. And I like almost fell off my chair while I was doing it. And I was like, this would be perfect would fit where I like am actively now trying not to and slip and fall. And there we go. But luckily it's not as bad anymore, but I was at like a pretty bad alcohol dependency for a while. I was like kind of drunk while I was doing it. So it was like, was not in like the best state of mind. I'm curious, the times that you almost tried, do you have any idea or can you find the words to what stopped you? So it's ridiculous, but it's kind of like this leftover from my family of being the functional one, this like hyper-functional person. At the beginning of the year, I was miserable. I was in a horrible, horrible place. Beginning of like 2023, not like school year. And I was late on this assignment. I had gotten an extension, but I was standing there sewing like with my pill bottles, like to my mouth. And I was like 
I can't do this. I have to turn in this assignment in an hour. So it's just like these really weird, like goals-based things. It has nothing to do with my desire to or not. It's not like I'm doing it. I'm like, okay, now I don't want to anymore. It's like, there's these things I have to do because Mm -hmm. I'm the one that does stuff. I also do have like some spectacular friends and stuff who make themselves like very available for me, which is very nice. Do you think people your age are more open to available and better at communicating about these things? To an extent. So this is like the moment that I knew that like it had become a thing amongst my generation was I was at a bar around here and there was like a frat house that had come like to visit or something. And I just was overhearing their conversations. They were like making sort of making fun of like one of their friends. And they were like, yeah, it's ridiculous. Like he doesn't even go to therapy. And I'm like, the minute that like the frat bros are going to therapy, like we're getting to a better place. I think amongst my age, I think depression is more talked about, but I don't think, I think suicide is. The people that have, that are available for me are people who have either dealt with it themselves or have had friends that have killed themselves. Except for, I will say, I'll give my friend Grace a shout out. We went through like a similar, like growing up, I can fully say like this fully changed the way that I like looked at dealing with my life. When we became friends and we would both go on drives for hours on end. And Mm. I apologize to my parents since they were paying for gas at that point. She basically said, like, when we're in the car, there's no bullshit. You don't have to answer anything I ask. But if you do answer it, then you have to be honest with me. Mm, I love Grace. Yeah. And that just kind of changed the way that I started, like, living my life. And I just, like, was able to cut out the bullshit with other people. I'm going to share what what the fuck I want to share on my own time and not really feel bad about it. It taught me to value honesty in the friendships, the good friendships that I have. Shout out to Grace. If anyone would listen to this podcast, we're not doing it. We're not talking about anything that's like too complex when we're like analyzing our emotions or anything. It's not calculus. Exactly. We're not doing the Pythagorean theorem over here. Does Grace know that we're talking? No, but I probably will tell her. What are you going to do after school? It's tough. As of right now, I'm going home, Mm -hmm. which is hard because I'm going to move back in with my parents. Awful things happen every time I am at my house for a long period of time. My sister currently moved back home for a bit. I will say, like, I've joked about this with my parents. My parents should have never had children. They, like, produced two of the most emotionally dysfunctional children. And, like, both of them also have, like, their own shit as well. Everyone in my family is, like, stupidly smart. And I'm, like, the art student. So there's a lot of over-rationalizing things, finding solutions instead of listening to what I'm saying. Very hard to do both at the exact same time. Right. Obviously, I would much rather have my mom who over-researches everything that I ever say and then someone who is like fully just apathetic. Now, when you tried back in the day, did you did anyone ever find out about those attempts? I told some of my friends later in life, but no. Okay, later in life. And what about the one more recently? No. No, okay. It feels hard right now because I'm like, I sympathize with all of my friends who are like, it's like the end of their college time right now. Like, I feel like I don't want to like, hey, by the way. Um, <laughs> by the way. Now, did you ever get a diagnosis? The word depression has come up. Did you get a diagnosis and an eating disorder? So I have been almost bipolar for Mm -hmm. a long time. Yeah. So I think what happened was like, I started displaying it later in life, sort of been like growing into it, if that makes sense. But for a long time, I like ran the gambit with different medications, trying to figure out what was going on. I did this eight day complete mental evaluation, what they came up with unnamed mood disorder. 
for, you know, for a long time, I did not really care about a diagnosis because I was like, this doesn't change anything. But more recently, it did kind of become frustrating where I was like, am I doing stuff that meets this category? Am I showing signs of this one and this one? I get that too. I've struggled with that my whole life. Just one more question around that attempt earlier this year. Since then, have you ever had the following thought? I wish it had worked. I wish my attempt as a kid worked. Although like, you know, if you gave me a pill right now, like absolutely, like without it, without a doubt. So, and just to be clear, the pill is you'll take the pill, you go to sleep and you'll peacefully pass away. Yeah. All right. Now I'm going to ask you a really hard question. Why? The way that I always used to describe it is suicide is a means to an end and not existing is the end goal. If you give me a pill and I can just sort of like drift away, I, yeah, I feel like the action of suicide is what has kept me from killing myself. You know, like life is just like struggle and like it takes a lot of effort to just like exist when you are like someone who deals with like depression and just in general, it's hard to like exist. But you know, it's like, if you just gave me something where I don't have to struggle anymore. Isn't, I'm not trying to, to simplify any of this or, or minimize it, but isn't that really the main reason people drink and drug? Yeah. I just don't want to feel this shitty. So over the summer, I was in a rough point. I was like going through a breakup. It was blah, blah, blah. Literally every time I would leave the house, I would have to like take a shot of tequila just to like mm-hmm. muster up the courage to like go outside. That is like very bad and like destructive. I don't know. It seems like in an ideal world, there seems like a lot of like negative things that I could just like cut out if I just wasn't here, if that makes sense. <laughs> In an ideal world, it'd be really good and cheap tequila. You could also argue. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, uh... Make it a whole, lot e- a whole lot easier. So of all the things in your life that you do, and this is one of these slightly annoying, almost Pollyanna questions, is there anything that actually helps? So over the summer, it was drinking. I was drinking way too much. Yeah. And then it came school time. I passed it along to a different sort of addiction. Addiction like runs in my family. So like not much helps me outside of that, but like I was addicted to working. I would consistently be up for like two, three days on end. I would get 10, 15 hours of sleep during a week and I was just working, working, working. And it was crazy because part of me was like, I'm so focused on working right now and getting stuff done that I don't have time to feel depressed. Kind of like lesser of two evils, I guess. You had said earlier that you have a different opinion about something. Did that come up already? No, it hasn't. Let's go. My one, I'll just call it like the suicide community. So there is obviously this gap between us and everyone else. And it's like how we view suicide. I feel like there's not enough of like both sides calling it what it is. Speaking purely subjectively. So I had a family member who killed themselves. They have kids, young kids. It is fully okay for his young kids, in my opinion, to say like, that's kind of selfish of him that he left us. Suicide at its core is selfish. It's okay Mm -hmm. to admit that because you are choosing to do something for yourself Mm -hmm. over other people. Mm -hmm. But I think the part that like everyone else doesn't understand, we sort of get that pain that that's going to cause. Just knowing that is horrible. So adding that, now you can imagine how horrible of a place someone must be to want to kill themselves because they understand all of this. Absolutely. And I feel like that's the part that isn't talked about enough. We know the ramifications. That's what I don't get. It's like, do you think we're stupid? There's an answer, Dante. Yes. 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 Suicide is not psychosis. It is very rational. Anything, it's very rational because very rarely do people like out of nowhere. I'll just say like when my family member killed himself, it was right before I went to college. 
this was before my parents knew that I was depressed. My mom was like, how could they do this? And I was like having this conversation of almost like I was listening. I'm like, I'm kind of absolving myself right now. I'm like, you don't know the pain that like they were in, like they know this. This is also just, I'm just like speaking from firsthand experience right now. You know what I mean? So it's okay to acknowledge that we're making this choice for ourselves mm-hmm. and that this choice is objectively bad for everyone, bad for everyone else. Those two things can exist at the same time. Right. I agree. There was somebody on here in the last few months who said this is not the same thing, but something similar about being selfish. And I loved it because you're right. If you hear the podcast, a lot of people bring this up. It's not selfish. It's not so okay. I, I can completely embrace how everyone feels about it. Here's another like truth bomb. Like I think what you're saying is let's really have a even realer conversation. Everyone says, oh, you're not a burden. You're not a burden. You know what? Ask people in their lives, if they were really being honest, they'd say, yeah, this shit is a burden. Absolutely. Because if they feel like a burden, you're making it like they're fucking out of their mind for feeling that way. They feel that way mostly. They've gotten signals, clear ones. You know, again, love them dearly, but my my sister took up a whole lot of emotional weight in our family. And when you were at home, there was a there was times where it'd be a damper on the house. You cannot tell me that they are not being a burden on me or on my parents. Because it, it, it also like that idea of like, it do, you're not a burden. It doesn't make sense because should I then feel guilty if right. someone else is being a burden on me? Do I then have to be like, oh, never mind. I'm the one who's wrong here. It's like, me. It's me. Right. Right. And some of it, not all of it, but some of it comes down to how we talk to each other. You have a choice to make when you're talking with somebody. You either open the conversation or you close it. And there was no in between. You're doing, you're saying and doing things that are going to open it up, meaning I'm inviting this conversation in or you're not. I don't think people are aware of that, that what they're doing is closing it. I would say you probably don't want to be doing that unless that's a choice you're making. Unfortunately, I think people aren't aware. Oh, you just said a thing and most people are going to respond by shutting down. All right. If you know that and you're choosing to do that, that's your choice. But I don't think people realize it. Not on the radar. We don't learn it. That's actually the image I have. Like when I think about doing this and this is easier for me than outside in the world, <laughs> Yeah, but it's like open. I always think open it up. Do you have any, I think these have come up already, so we might've already covered it, but I always ask about myths. So like the first one and like the most simplest, it's unfortunate because I don't think anyone that I'd be talking to right now would be listening to this podcast. But you know, if you are someone who works at these like crisis centers, one thing that like, while they were trying to be nice to me, I always felt, I'm like the difference between you and me is that you get to go home at the end of your day. You can be as nice as you want to me, but once your shift is over, you can leave. Go, I am stuck here Mm -hmm. because of you. You know what I mean? Like you are the one who is holding me here. You know what I mean? So like have some understanding of if you were being held against your will for six days, do you think you would be in a a very good mood? Is there a myth around that? Or you're just sort of calling something out? Just sort of calling it out. One thing I will say, this is sort of like a myth, I think. I am not a fan of the way we look at medication. Medication has such a negative connotation. Me also, but like countless of people have had horrible experiences with medication. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I don't need that. You know, like, I don't need that. I listen to these stories. I would not be here without my medication. I 100% can tell anyone I would be dead if I did not take my medication. I kind of feel guilty sometimes. I feel like it's like people have such as this negative opinion of it. Like, oh, if you go on medication, it's going to make you crazy. You're going to be a zombie if you take medication. No, it can help. And I like encourage people. I had this argument with one of my friends for like literally two years. I'm like, you would greatly benefit from medication. 
And they were like, I don't want to like lose my personality. And I know it works for you, but it wouldn't work for me. And recently, finally, they went on it and they're like, my life is so much easier. I feel happy now. It's like removing that stigma of like being on medication and like being medicated. It's some, obviously I would much rather not be on all this medication. And like the right now, I would rather be on this medication and not living miserably every day. I just like kind of feel sometimes that people stigmatize taking medication. It's funny. I don't hear that as much as, so it might be an age thing. I don't know. Yeah. I hear more of like, no, it can help. I think there's a lot of people, at least from people my age, I would say, or at least that I've interacted with. I don't want to like speak for other people's experiences. There is a reason for this, but people are like, oh, if you go on medication, like you're going to be like a zombie. And I don't want to like lose my personality. I don't want to lose my personality, especially in the art world. Feels like you're kind of like spitting in my face right now. There is a lot of horrible things that come with the mental health system, but there is also very good things that can come with it. Obviously, countless people have had horrible experiences with psychiatrists, therapists. I've had terrible therapists, had terrible psychiatrists. But if you haven't, it's still something to worth to explore. I am someone who has benefited greatly from it. And so I like just like to encourage people to do that because if it's helped me, it can, it can help someone else. As like a sort of like joke to myself, like I keep a, a long list of all of the different like medications I've had to try and take. But also like now I'm here with like my little like nightly cocktail. I am much happier taking them. It has been worth the journey. You also said, if I gave you a pill, you would go away. So um, how do those two work together? One of the medications I take is lithium, which is like cleared to be prescribed specifically for suicidal ideation. My life when I'm not taking that, that's all I can think about is just every day. It's me. I'm driving. I should run my car off the road. There's a tall building. Let me go to the top of it. So it's like, I can't function when I'm not taking that because my life is so bogged down. But if you gave me a pill that I could not be on any of them, absolutely. And I have been like trying to explore different forms of medical treatment that isn't medication with my therapist and psychiatrist, just because I'm like, shit is getting a little tiring. Uh, 25 years old. Will Dante be alive? Yeah. My entire life, I've kind of felt like I've been living on borrowed time. So at what point is it not just borrowed time and it's just the time that I'm living, I guess? You know, somebody's thinking about death a lot. And I know on lithium, it's not not as bad. And I know you also said, interestingly, that sometimes you're addicted to work-related things. Doesn't it make it hard to plan when you're often thinking about not being alive? I'm going to apply to this job or I'm going to do this internship. Isn't it get hard to just do that? Because you're like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to die. And So one of the reasons that I work so hard is... I feel very lucky that I have found exactly what I want to do for the rest of my life. Very good. I love making clothes. I love designing clothes. I've been building with Legos for my entire life. Like I love building. I have a Lego tattoo. That's kind of why I say probably because hopefully I can find a job in the next, you know, six months, maybe check back within me in six months and I may have a different answer. Yeah. And I was working on my senior collection. I was like, because I need this to be the best that it can fucking be because this is going to control the rest of my life. I'm going to get a job with this collection. So I need it to be perfect. You know, that's six months that I am alive. And if that's kind of what it took to get me there, then I'm okay with that. When you have a collection, is that like a brand? Do you have a style? Do you have a thing that's like you're known for? So I mainly do uh, men's like tailoring and suiting. And my like senior collection was a base. It was called the emasculation of masculinity. And it was all about putting the people who are wearing the clothes in these sort of uncomfortable positions, situations with like garments that were made with like steel rods. So it was very like 
strict and like very sturdy and like you couldn't move in it to stuff that was like cut very like highly to expose a lot of your body and stuff. No one at my school knows this, but it was based off of my time in, in like the crisis center. It was crazy. I had like, as I was working, I had like a latent memory come back from it. And I was like, this is what I was tying back to. Like, I can't believe I forgot about that. Yeah. I could, I didn't, I didn't brand it as this obviously, because here's my medical history to an, to a employer. That's why I love fashion because it's been such a great way for me to work through my own issues. Wow. 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 When I got there, I don't know if this is a thing in all places, but they had me like strip and then they started like taking notes on my body because they were like marking down like any tattoos I had or any scars. The reason what they gave was so like, if you're harming yourself while you're here, we refer back to this to know if there's any added scars or anything. The logic in that is so weak. Because the amount of time that would have to happen from like you cutting yourself to then it becoming a scar is a solid like couple months. And so the collection was kind of about how that experience, specifically that experience, how it like changed the way that I like looked at myself and like my own masculinity, how that like fucked with my head. And so the garments were supposed to like put the models in that mindset, but while also being like, you know, all of my models loved the stuff they wore. So So uh, what else would you like to share? I mean, we've talked about a lot of things. I think the last thing I would say is if you are talking to someone who has, this is not to you specifically, I'm more mean to like the world, listen to what you are about to say before you say it. Mm -hmm. Because you can say things that at the surface may sound great. Like the thing that always my mom once told me was like, you know, I learned, she told me, she's like, I learned so much about you um, when we did family therapy with your sister, which I didn't know that they did. So I'm like, so you guys did family therapy without the, a part of the family. You know what I mean? So like now I'm even more upset right now. Obviously I know she did not mean that in any sort of negative way, but like, just take a second. If you're in a conversation like this mm-hmm. to just listen to what you're saying before you say it. They may not, these things may seem like throwaway comments to you, but to the person who was going through an issue, that's not what they want to hear. You know what I mean? And sometimes not even saying anything is what they want. They just want you to say, I'm really sorry. That sucks. And it would be even better if you actually meant it, but yeah. Shut up and listen, say things in your head before you say them out loud. Yeah. And I guess also the last thing I'd say, these, these conversations aren't actually as hard to have as most people would think. Yeah. As people who don't deal with them. Cause I think we are a group of people who feel unheard. And so if someone just listens slightly, it's a lot of people would be very receptive. They wouldn't be like, oh, fuck you. Stop being so understanding. (laughs) Right, 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 right. A lot of the way we talk about suicide or we're told to talk about it, and some of it's very valid, like headlines and media, there's there's research that shows that there's ways to cover it. Right. But in day-to-day one-on-one or small group conversations, it's interesting some of the ways to talk about it. I'm always like, no. Yeah. Please don't do that. I don't say it because it's tricky when you're going up against a lot of the large organizations who are saying to do these things. Like I want to be very much sometimes like an opposing voice, but I also don't want to lose people because I'm going to look like a total quack, like a total wacko. I'll give you an example. Something you hear a lot is suicide is not an option. And I always think, but the person who's struggling, if they think it's an option, it's an option. Absolutely. So you saying it's not an option isn't going to change anything. Oh my God, it's not. Duh. No, it is. I've been thinking about this for three years or whatever. 
Yeah. So let's just stop. Like it goes back to what you were saying earlier about pretending. It it was like the what the like don't do drugs ad right. like back in the day. Like we can admit that that never helped anyone. So why would just changing the words but keeping right. the sentiment change this situation? Yeah, for sure. Hey, thanks again, Dante, for talking. And I appreciate yeah. your time and uh, being so open. So much for having me. You are very welcome. Hope the rest of school goes well, man. Take care. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks, Dante. Take care. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to Dante in Georgia, maybe now in New Jersey. Thanks, Dante. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at suicidenoted. Check the show notes for an additional way to reach out. All kinds of other ways you can get involved and participate, including our membership. It comes with a couple of really cool perks. And hey, we could use a little financial support as we try to reach more people in more places and hopefully help them feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. And oh, by the way, I should add, it helps me feel a little less shitty and a little less alone too. So thank you. That is all for episode number 171. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.